at Alina Health. We care about your health and wellness. Learn how Alina Health provides care that can benefit you in this edition of The Wellcast. Now here's your host, Melanie Cole. Have you ever felt a sense of unease if you weren't able to check your phone regularly or had a little burst of pleasure when friends and colleagues liked something you posted online? How and why you feel that way is no accident. Here to talk with us about brain hacking is Dr. Jesse Corey. He's a neurologist at Alina Health's United Hospital. Welcome to the show, Dr. Corey. What does that mean, brain hacking? We hear about it a little bit in the media. What does that mean? Well, thanks for having me, uh, Melanie. So brain hacking is kind of this term that has been used to describe the engineering practice of technologists, software developers, to try to, in short, get you hooked on the application. So they do things in order to help make you want to come back to use that phone, to feel a little nervous if you don't use the phone through different, you know, times when they would, you know, release the likes or, you know, little bells and whistles they'll put on there to make you, you know, nervous or happy with your phone use. Wow. So so this was sort of engineered as a way to get us to really need to do that or want to do that because that, that's how they sell their apps. Correct. It's, you know, there's actual conditioning that's going on on the behalf of these developers of software. There's over the last several months and years, there's been more and more evidence that it, people are trying to engineer these things to make you feel more stressed or to make you feel happier, to make you have more of a reward sensation when using the application, we need to keep in mind when we go and we're using, you know, a social media platform, it's almost as though we're going to use it for free because the real commodity is our eyeballs. The people who advertise on these things really want us to see their advert advertisements. And so the more we're on that social media platform, the more we'll see, the more we're likely to purchase those items. That's amazing. So they leveraged our brains to work, yeah. to provoke that neurological response, that, that desire, almost the bell meat thing. Correct. There's actually a number of firms in you know, technology right now that they focus on how to better manipulate through neuroscience technology and software. And you can go online. There's a number of articles in the Wall Street Journal, CBS News, etc., that talk about this interface now between neuroscience and technology. So how would someone know if they've got a social network addiction? What does that look like, and are we, are we, do we want to do something about it? Is it similar to an addiction to anything else? Okay. I think you know, the first thing to start is, okay, is there a diagnosis of social media addiction? And right now it falls under the kind of the, the covering of what we call a behavioral addiction. The, the diagnostic manual of psychiatric disease at this time does not have a firm you know, Facebook or social media addiction diagnosis, but it's considered in the category of behavioral addictions. And like many other addictions, the things we look for in individuals are, are they starting to use that technology in a way it's, that's beyond volitional use, maybe almost subconscious use? Are they almost in need of that technology in order to have them feel pleasure? Do they use the technology more and more? Are they kind of develop a tolerance to this. And when they, you know, cut themselves off from technology, is there kind of a, you know, a relapse when they, you know, they take some time off? Well, they kind of, you know, when they relapse, they start using it more and more. And I think the most important thing is, is there a conflict? Is that person, because of the technology, 
missing out on those offline experiences, those offline relationships? And is it causing difficulty for the individual using the technology and the the people in their life who they have relationships with? So it's really, the, I mean, basically, as you're saying, Dr. Corey, it's the same parameters as really any addiction. Is it affecting Correct. your life, the quality of your life? I mean, i.e., are you checking Facebook while trying to read your child a bedtime story? Correct. And and for our teens and our kids, what do you recommend? I mean, you, you know, you're an expert in so many things, and you're a neurologist. What do you recommend for our teens? And I'm asking you, not only as the person interviewing you, but as a mother of two teenagers, mm-hmm. how do we break this cycle as if they were starting to drink or do drugs? Is there a way right. to kind of break this up a little bit? So, you know, when I think about this, I kind of start thinking what's going on in the brains of people they've studied who have these kind of social media addictions or these bad habits. And they find that the part of the brain that drives impulse, right, that, you know, that desire to go and do that, that is kind of accentuated. That's made to be more powerful than it should be. And why it's concerning, particularly with young people, is that as we get older, we learn both the carrot and the stick. As we get older, we learn the consequences of our actions. But children, and teens in particular, their brains are wired to, you know, learn best from positive feedback, right? So if they're getting those those likes and, and they're getting them in those bundles, right, where they're getting 30 likes at a time, that's going to be a very positive experience for them, and they're going to go ahead and, you know, that's going to be a more potent reinforcement than, you know, punishing the child and saying, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to ground you on this. So when I look at that, I, I realize that, okay, there's, there's that almost a sugar high that young people are going to get. So I think the first thing that people really need to, your children need to do is to set boundaries, right? And there are applications on phones people can use to say how much time they're spending. But to set boundaries, you know, we all have to use the Internet uh, for, you know, be it research or school or work, what have you. So making sure that you've got goals. When you go on the internet, what you're going to do, you try not to deviate those goals. And, you know, yeah, if you, you know, you make your goals, then reward yourself with some online time. In my family, my kids, they actually have to um, do chores around the house and good activities and do well in school. And we have this little gold coin game where the, the kids can then, if they get so many gold coins, they get so much screen time than for, you know, Facebook or, you know, uh, YouTube or what have you. Um, so that's one mechanism. The other thing is, you know, is, and this is, Part of when people do have an addiction, one of the things they can use, the tools they can use to kind of help, you know, get themselves off that addiction or try to rehabilitate is rationalize why you're using this. Understand why you're trying to, you know, put this post or that post on your social media platform and think about the consequences of that use. So do you think that it will, if we're able to cut back, Mm-hmm. on constantly checking in and this need that we have, and even for people who have to, you know, answer their emails right away mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Do you think that this could help us reduce our stress levels, cortisol, you know, all these anxiety hormones that we get? Or do you think that it will cause more if we cut back? No, I, I think we definitely need to cut back. And, and the reason I say this is kind of twofold. Number one, there's been a number of studies over the last year that have looked at the connection between the brain and stress and the development of heart disease, stroke, blood vessel hardening and whatnot. And they found that people who have, you know, who are more stressed, right, who have a higher, you know, 
metabolic activity of a part of the brain called the amygdala, which is kind of the stress driver in people. And when that little you know, part of your brain, that amygdala, is more active, you're more prone towards hardening the arteries and the consequences thereof, such as you know, heart disease, stroke, what have you. We know, too, from other studies that people who are higher on that you know, social media addiction spectrum, they have larger amygdalas. So, you know, it, it, does larger necessarily mean more really? active? Not necessarily. But we see that people who have this part of the brain, you know, more active, larger, will have more stress. They're going to be at more risk for complications of stress like heart disease and stroke. So wow. That's the per- first thing to be really concerned about. The other thing is in medicine and many other fields, people are trying to cut down on the beeps and whistles because people become immune to them. They, they don't respond to them like they should. So if you, you know, if it's causing stress and it's not really improving the situation, people are ignoring them, you know, for, you know, the beeps and whistles we don't want to have, like, ah, oh, you have an email or something. That, I think, requires us to sit back and say, okay, how do we make technology work for us as opposed to us working for technology? It's a great way to think about it. So, Dr. Corey, for those who do feel that social media is taking up too much time, whether it's Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook Mm or Twitter or any of these other things, what do you want them to do to start reducing the amount and to really kind of wean themselves off of some of these things? Yeah, and I think that the we can take some advice from other forms of behavioral addiction, uh, like Internet addiction and, and whatnot, and look at things like, number one, justify what you have to do and why you have to do it. So you have a very clear goal and what your purpose is to be on the Internet so you don't stray from that. Number two, you know, social media, this is a very, this is an awesome thing we have. We can keep in contact with friends now we made as children. And that's the real driver of a lot of social media is to maintain those offline relationships. So use it for that, you know. So don't go you know, lurking on people's Facebook, trying to find different things about the person. If you want to use it to maintain a relationship, use it like you would a regular relationship. Use it to say, you know, something positive about this person. You know, the other thing people can do is they can, you know, talk to people who their Facebook use or their social media use affects. So if a person's in a relationship with somebody else and that, that partner is saying, you know, your use of social media is really affecting the time between us, talk with that person, understand why they feel that way. And that kind of feedback, which is oftentimes missing from social media platforms, is invaluable for a person to understand the consequences of their actions. There is some evidence that certain medications may be of help to people who, you know, things like rationalization and therapies aren't enough for, um, but still in the very early stages of study. So what are some of your final thoughts on the healthy use of social media and also for our teens? I mean, is there anything really good about it? I think, you know, I mean, social media is there to help us maintain those offline relationships. I think that's great. Um, and, and it should be used for things of that nature. I think for people who are industries upon themselves, so just, you know, celebrities, athletes and whatnot, it's good to help maintain their positive image. It's good to kind of help, you know, promote causes that you, you know, you feel passionate about. I think these are all great things that social media can be, you know, useful for. But we need to be mindful that all actions have consequences. And we need to make sure that when we want to post something or say something, we do so in a way that's mindful of how it reflects upon us, as well as how, you know, it'll affect other people. And so I think as we as a society move forward, 
there's going to be, we need to start having a little better, you know, etiquette as far as how we use social media and, you know, and how we interact with people on this medium, on this platform. I think you're absolutely 100% right. And, and so it's definitely something that as individuals, we can work with our family and friends, right? Mm-hmm. And, and try and convince them of these positive things and play this podcast for them because you've just explained it so well. Thank you so much, well, Dr. So much. Corey, for being with us today. You're listening to The Wellcast with Alina Health. And for more information, you can go to alinahealth.org. That's alinahealth.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.